on the line with us, we have Monday Night Football play-by-play voice Joe Tessitore, analyst Jason Witten, field analyst Booger McFarland, sideline reporter Lisa Salters, Monday Night Football producer Jay Rothman, and ESPN Executive Vice President of Programming and Scheduling, Burke Magnus. This Monday, ESPN will televise the highly anticipated Week 11 matchup between the Chiefs and the Rams from the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. This will be the first Monday Night Football game in Los Angeles since 1985. And before we begin our Q&A session, I'd like to invite Jay Rothman to share a few opening remarks. Jay? Thanks, Allie. Good morning, everybody. Um, First of all, I would say we're disappointed um, that we're not going to be in Mexico City. We were really excited about the game when the schedule came out. We had it two years ago. We wanted it last year with New England. Uh, Didn't get it, and this year we got it back. Um, It's a stadium that has great history, sold-out crowds, a boisterous crowd, unique sights and sounds, very different uh, than what we're used to here, and we enjoyed the heck out of our our last experience there, so we were excited about that. But um, you understand the circumstances um, and just had to adjust. As difficult as the logistics were for both teams, the Rams and Chiefs, certainly the Rams being in Colorado Springs, um, the, the same holds for our same holds true for our crew. We had 150 people that were mobilizing, a ton of logistics, travel, security, transportation, equipment, setting up at the stadium, Stadio Azteca. We had a catering truck already in Mexico. Um, so as you could imagine, with a game like that, a lot of detail, a lot of logistics, a lot of planning, a lot of thought, um, and all of that um you know, you have to adjust. Our fleet of trucks left Santa Clara. They were in Arizona uh, heading to the border um, and were to be at the Mexican border this morning. So um, with the news yesterday, you know, it turned into scramble mode for a number of hours uh, for much of our team. Uh, we divided, worked hard, and now under these unique circumstances, Monday Night Football returns to L.A., as Ali said, for the first time since 1985, and we're excited about that. Um, it's a great matchup for us. Um, we're sensitive to what's going on here in Los Angeles. Certainly we experienced it in Santa Clara, um, over the weekend with the fires, um, north. And now, you know, the same holds true with the news that, um, occurred in Thousand Oaks a week ago, the fires in Malibu, you know, potential air quality concerns, which seem to have gotten better here in LA where I am now. And, um, all of that, but at the end of the day, we're excited for this matchup and uh, excited to be televising uh, from Los Angeles now. Thanks, Jay. We'll start our Q&A with Barry Wilner from the Associated Press, and then we'll go to Sam Farmer with the LA Times. Two questions to you. Uh, did it make it any easier that you need to switch everything to L.A. rather than, say, another NFL city, which may be more difficult to get to or um, uh, just would have all kinds of issues that maybe you would not have in L.A.? And uh, the other question is, did the NFL consult with ESPN at all on this change, and if so, how? Burke, do you want to take the consulting question? Sure. Hi, Barry. Um, 
they did not consult. I wouldn't put it that way. They did not consult with us. We were not part of the decision other than they did, um, which we really appreciated, uh, gave us some uh, some notice of the potential issues uh, several days ago. So, you know, um, to Jay's point, the logistical change here uh, is is not insignificant, but uh, but we appreciated that the NFL uh, made us aware of the possibility several days ago while they were making their ev- evaluations. But we did not have any uh, part in the decision, uh, though we understand it. The only, the only thing I would add, again, from a geographic standpoint, having our fleet in Arizona, you know, to be able to stop that, you know, we are a traveling circus. We move uh, six mobile units uh, that make up our show, so that was an, a bit of an easy turnaround. It certainly helps that USC is playing in the Rose Bowl on Saturday, not at home, so that helps us from a, a technical standpoint in terms of setup. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was a certainly was a few hours of a frenzy yesterday, but it's, you know, back to normal now doing a Monday night football game, and here we go. Thank you. We'll go to, we'll go to Sam Farmer and then Brooke Pryor with the Kansas City Star. Uh, thanks for doing this, guys. Uh, Jay, uh, you did the first game back in Los Angeles against the Cowboys. I wonder what you learned about sort of the logistical challenges of the Coliseum that you can apply there now. And I wonder, have you ever had anything in your career like this where there's an audible call at last minute of this magnitude uh, where you have to make this kind of switch so late in the game? Yeah, good morning, Sam. Um, to the answer the second part of your question, not really. We've certainly had, had have had odd circumstances occur in the moment, lights going out at Candlestick Park, all the things of, of that nature. Um, but, no, we haven't had to, uh, you know, adjust like that. It was crazy just that the last two games, including what we had in San Francisco with, you know, air quality in the Bay Area and things of that nature and any sort of, you know, moving of that game, you know, it was a little bit of a stressful weekend up there even Knowing that you know how the air, not knowing how the air quality quality would be, the talk of maybe moving the game site, knowing that these trucks had to get to Mexico, so there was a lot that's gone on over the last week, um, I would say. And then as it relates to doing the game at the LA Coliseum, um, not really. You know, there's done uh, we've done a lot of NFL football there, not us per se, but you know they televise there every week, and um, certainly offers unique vantage vantage points. We are adding some extra gear and equipment because of the magnitude of this game. But, um, no, we should have no challenges. Again, USC not being there helps um, understand the stadium's a little bit under construction, so that doesn't make for the prettiest of pictures. But um, we're excited to be back in L.A., and uh, we're fired up for the game. Can I flip in one last thing? Was the second Monday ever consideration, in other words, doing it during the bye week, or, or is, is it just too complicated with postponing a Monday night game? Go ahead, Burke. I was, I was never, uh, I was that we were never made aware of any, anything other than uh, a venue switch. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. 
We'll go to Brooke Pryor and then Joe Reedy with the Associated Press. Hey guys, thanks so much for doing this. And Jason, I was curious from your perspective, how concerned were you looking at the field conditions in, in Mexico City with the, the safety for the safety issue with players? What what was your level of concern seeing those photos uh, before the game was moved? Yeah, I think it's always a priority that you know you want to have it as an equal playing field, in that um, you, you want it. You don't want the elements to ever get in the way of of the outcome or affecting the game. And so, although it was just some pitchers, uh, you know, my experience of playing in the NFL for 15 years was that you know every week with the equipment, with the field, with the um, support staff that was around was always the best of the best. And so, you know, I trust the, the league's vision and the standards that they have for um, what the NFL is going to be in, in the playing field. And, yeah, I think for a player's perspective, you always want it to be the best circumstance you can be. But uh, at the same time, you have to adjust. And, and so, uh, obviously, the league made that decision and, you know, respect that and, and uh, move forward. Thanks. We'll go to Joe Reedy, followed by Richard Deitch with The Athletic. Yeah, just um, a question for Joe and Jason. How much have you guys been looking forward to this game since for about five, six weeks it looked like this could be uh, one of the top games on the NFL calendar? Hey, this is Joe here. I, I mean, we have had this thing circled all year long. There's just no way around it, and I think probably a little extra so, and I'll let, I let Logan Witt speak to this, but, you know, the fact that we were able to um, take such a deep dive on the Rams for so long, knowing that they were our opening Monday night football game against the Raiders, I think, you know, we, we really we really were tightened up on, on knowing the Rams inside and out, and realizing what kind of season they had in front of them, and then obviously they delivered the way they have, and we spent a lot of time with the Rams uh, in the lead-up to that first Monday night football game, and there's so much to like about them, especially Sean McVay and then all the offensive weaponry and, and Eric Donald. And then when it comes to the Chiefs, you know, a lot of us had the Chiefs tagged as sort of, um, you know, the team that could that could really surprise a lot of people and maybe have the breakout player in the league. And sure enough, you know, the way things went very early with the Chiefs, and then we were really blessed to have that outstanding performance and that, that game-winning drive with, with Mahomes at mile high in an atmosphere where he was going to be tested. So for our crew, we got a really early taste of what these teams can be at their best, and they never stopped. So we were always looking forward to this Monday night. Now you look at the stats and you look at how it sizes up with, you know, the dueling 9-1 and records and what it means in terms of the AFC and NFC and the number one seed. And and uh, this is definitely the game that we've been looking forward to, that's for sure. But I'll let the guys speak to that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're extremely excited, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, I think I speak uh, and believe, much like many people out there, that, you know, this may be an early Super Super Bowl preview. Um, You know, the Saints may have something to say about that. Obviously, New England probably has something to say about that. But, you know, I I just have so much respect with, you you look at the Rams having the season that they had last year with the young head coach and Sean McVay, a lot of hype, a lot of expectations. And they've met that. Quite frankly, they've exceeded those expectations with the record and and how um, what a great start they're off to right now. And uh, on the other side, 
it's kind of the opposite. I mean, Andy Reid has really reinvented himself offensively in Kansas City, making a decision to to trade Alex Smith, who had taken that team to, to multiple playoff appearances, and uh, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's worth the price of admission. I mean, the way they're doing it, how these offenses are performing, uh, you know, we expect a shootout. So, and these both of these defenses, I mean, they've struggled some this season, but they've also got big stops at critical times to allow their teams to win. So a lot of excitement. I mean, if you love football, you're going to love this matchup. We'll go to Richard Deitch, followed by Jacob Feldman at Sports Illustrated. Thanks. Uh, this question's for Jay Rothman. Uh, Jay, you've uh, you've obviously produced a lot of Monday Night Football games and doing a little bit of research. Uh, the most watched Monday Night Football game since ESPN got the package was far uh, as a Viking playing the Packers through, I think, 2021 20, million. Um, we're in a different universe now. Probably unlikely you get that number. But can you give me a sense just in terms of anticipation and matchup where this would rank for you since ESPN took over the Monday Night Football package in 2006? Yeah, good morning, Richard. How you doing? Good. Um, good. Yeah, we're excited. You know, I, I think there's a few that come top of mind when you know you have an opportunity. You know, one that always stands out to me candidly is the um, reopening of the Superdome, knowing the opportunity we had there in New Orleans um, with the Saints coming back and what it meant. You know, different because it wasn't mono a mano uh, with the Saints and the Falcons per se, but, you know, a big opportunity. Um, certainly had it with Drew Brees this year, knowing that he was going to break the record, the all-time um, passing yard record, you know, and the preparation and planning we had for that. I was really proud of that. You mentioned the Favre game. That certainly comes to mind. And this is just a great shootout. You know, I, I think that the, the greatest thing we can do Monday night is not get in the way of the game. Um, you know, I think fans are expecting a shootout. They want a shootout. Jason has, you know, shared, and you would probably say the same, could be a Super Bowl preview. So, you know, we just want to do a great job covering the hell out of the game and um, and not getting in the way of it. And that's really the goal for Monday night. It's exciting that we have it. I know the crowd will be rocking in L.A. I know they're doing some great things, you know, handing out thousands of tickets to first responders and things of that nature. So that, that adds that little layer and wrinkle to it. But, um you know, we're fired up just to cover a great game. We're not really going um, out of the norm too much with adding that much extra equipment, you know, And um, but we're excited. You know, the interesting thing, just to your point, which, uh, you know, I'm interested to see is, as you know, there are those teams from a ratings perspective that are just global teams that, you know, move the meter, right? The Steelers, the Packers, the Patriots, the Cowboys, historically – Kansas City has not really been one of those move-the-meter rating teams. And L.A. is sort of getting there, but it's going to be interesting to see. So besides us not screwing up the game and doing a great job covering it, I'm anxious to see the number based on market size and see how that pans out. Same here. I appreciate it, Jack. Thank you. We'll go to Jacob Feldman and then Jeff Egress with the Chicago Sun-Times. Hi, y'all. Uh, thank you for, for taking time, as everybody is saying. My question is uh, a little bit different. I'm curious uh, if you guys can go back and talk a little bit, maybe Jay and Lisa, 
um, about how you guys decided to cover the air quality issues in Santa Clara and then looking forward this week, obviously a changing situation, but, but the philosophy you guys have in terms of, you know, how much to discuss you're talking about there with the first responder tickets, how much to discuss what has gone on uh, in the Los Angeles area during the broadcast on Monday. Lisa, you go ahead first. Uh, well, as far as air quality goes last week, um, that's kind of like right, right in the uh, sideline reporter's wheelhouse. It was, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily X's and O's, but it uh, was something that uh, could possibly have an impact on the game, was certainly have an, having an impact in the region. Uh, so I had to school myself up on what exactly, exactly air, the air quality index is and how it affects people, how it could possibly affect players. And then uh, explain it to the public in uh, you know in in a minute. So uh, you know it was something that it was a no-brainer for us. We knew it was something that we you know we had to to get to. We had to get to quickly, uh, and we had to make plain and, and simple for folks to understand uh, back at home. So uh, you know as soon as the the wildfires began and we knew that it was an issue, we began uh, planning in that direction. So that was pretty simple for us. Yeah, I would just say, you know, when you fly flying into San Jose and seeing the haze and not seeing the mountains and understanding what it was and both teams shortening practice uh, on Friday, um, excuse me, the Niners, I should say, uh, shortening practice on Friday and then those type of concerns. The imagery that came up from Northern California, you know, news trumps. We're, we're there to cover a game, but news trumps. You know, it's odd to see fans wearing masks in the stands. That's not common. Um, you know, it's a different it's a different kind of deal. You know, the, the 49ers, rightfully so, invited the Paradise High School football team, coaches, cheerleaders to attend the game, be on the field for the anthem, watch the game. All of them had lost their homes. Um, so, you know... It's, it's common sense for us to do the right thing and be respectful. And then just to your point about L.A., it's the same thing. You know, we're not blind to what happened a week ago with, with terrible shootings in Thousand Oaks. I flew over the fires yesterday over Malibu that are still smoldering. Um, what the Rams are doing in terms of first responders. So, again, just the, the week that was, you know, we have a responsibility above and beyond covering a great football game of um, – you know, documenting the news and what's going on uh, this particular week. Thank you. We'll go to Jeff with the Chicago Sun-Times and then Andrew Marchand with the New York Post. Thank you. Joe, this is for you. Um, you've had the opportunity to call many classic and down-to-the-wire college football games, and now you have a chance here with two nine and one pro teams. Have you found that your call has changed at all coming from college with the drama that they've had there to the drama of the NFL? Um, I don't think so. I think uh, I'd have to really reflect on that a little bit. But, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate this year that we've had games that have probably um, delivered a little more than maybe you would think on paper and have given us some fantastic finishes and some great drama. And when those moments happen, I just don't notice a difference in documenting the game and being one with the game and, and giving just a very authentic and, and natural call to, to what I do. I also think it's when when um, when Jason and, and Booger are at their best. I think if you 
if we look back at our work so far this year and we feel like we're, we're just trying to get better every week and hopefully we have and we continue to, but when you, when you watch the final minutes and moments of KC Denver or, or the San Francisco Green Bay game, um, or even what we had in the final moments the other day with the Giants in San Francisco, I think that that's when my partners are at their best. And hopefully it's when I deliver, you know, with, with the same passion and, and football savvy that, you know, that I, I feel good about from my college career for the last couple of decades, but, you know, documenting things and, and being one with the game. But, you know, I don't, I don't feel that much of a difference in the way I go about my business. I do think, and I've discussed this with a few people, but I think when you're in the NFL, college tends to be these one-off events um, that occupy these three and a half to four hours on a Saturday that stand alone. And the NFL t- tends to be connected stories and narratives that are woven throughout the year and that you have to stay one with from a global NFL view that you're really conscious of when you do a broadcast. But when the moment happens and you're given a great call, I think it's it's very much the same. So, I, you know, just in a quick reflection, I, I wouldn't think that I've changed that much with the way I give a call from, from college to the NFL when the game's on the line. But that's a, that's a good question for me to think about for sure. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Andrew Marchand is up, and then we'll go to Lynn Worthy with the KC Star. Hey, this question's for all of you, the guys in the booth, um, and I might have a follow-up. Just uh, how would you evaluate how you guys have done thus far, in your opinion? You start, with Joe. Uh, if anybody wants to go, feel free. I feel like I've been talking too much already, but please feel free. Booger, do you Wait, want to... Well, I, yeah, I, I'll jump in here, Booger. Here, you know, I, I think, you know, just like as a player, uh, we always evaluate ourselves. Uh, game one, game two, and you want to be better game two than you were game one. And, and I think, uh, from my perspective, and I think Wit feels the same way. That's kind of how we approach this. Uh, it's a, it's a unique setup that we have, and I feel like every game we've gotten better at different aspects of what we're doing. Uh, or we are finished product by no stretch of the imagination. However, I think the improvement we see from Oakland week one is, is, is miles away from where we started at, and I still think we have a long way to go. Uh, but I do think that the progress has been made, and, and just looking forward to continue getting, this, getting these reps and getting better at it. Anyone else want to add? Yeah, I can add to that. This is Jason. Um, look, yeah, I think uh, anytime you have this opportunity for me personally, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm ten games into it. Uh, of course, you're never going to feel like you, you're uh, where you want to be, and uh, you know, it's a, a unique challenge. Something that I'm invigorated by this process of going through it. Uh, it's a unique team, um, so you know, there's a lot to learn from, and every opportunity is a chance to get better at it. And so over time, I uh, I hope that it'll be a good listen from a, an analyst standpoint of what we're offering. But uh, yeah, you're you're always looking to improve and get better at it, and uh, you know certainly that's the case for me. Andrew, was it Andrew who asked the question? Yes, it was. Okay, all right. Thanks for that, Andrew. And I, and I know you have a good eye for all this, and that you stay really on top of it. So. You know, I don't mind sharing something very detailed with you in terms of if I was to give an assessment. And I think you hear from the guys right there and you understand their commitment. And 
you know, these are guys that that spent their careers on the field, and then more recently, in recent years, Bogan, especially, I've been very close with Bogan, in you know, on the TV side of things, of constantly, you know, um, self scouting, reflecting, and how can I get better, and being coachable, and you know, having a thick skin to be able to do that and really look at yourself and assess your work and then go out there and improve. They did that as players. They did it to the level of Super Bowl rings and soon to be Hall of Fame jackets. And, and they're doing it now as, as TV guys. And, you know, the one thing I will say, if you want me to give you something very specific, is as I look back, especially in the course of about the last three to four weeks, I think when football, and, and I answered part of this in the question that was just asked, I think when football is is happening fast in front of us, and you just got to react and have all that knowledge and experience come through. I think that's when the three of us are at our best, and I think we've had those moments, especially in in, in some fourth quarters this year and some critical moments. So I never doubt our ability to document, assess, talk strategy, scheming players in the moment quickly and just let it happen. Where I think this crew has gotten better in recent weeks, and I think it's going to continue to get better, is having really good cohesive conversation that flows and finds a rhythm, which is the great challenge by nature of a three-man booth um, and then some of the unique things that we're doing. But I really feel good about how we've been able to do that in recent weeks, and, and that's something that I can point to and say I'm proud of, and I want to continue to see that growth and development. Now, this week we have a game where I think everybody um, who's a sports fan, you know, with national interest is going to pause and say, hey, give me the game, document it well. I want to see this unbelievable matchup that's as rare a matchup as we've had in the NFL generationally when you start crunching some of these numbers. And somebody was throwing out the number the other day, and I threw it on that Monday broadcast. Of this deep in the season, having teams that are either undefeated or one loss, well, it's only the fourth matchup we've had generationally like that. And, and obviously the return of Monday Night Football to L.A., we have a lot of things that are very unique with this game that people are going to be curious to simply see what happens on the field. So I think this game plays to our wheelhouse really well as to what this crew already does fairly well. But we are not close to being a finished product. We are not close to being what we know we want to be because our standards are very high. You're talking about a group that takes a hard drive jump stick the second we get back to the production truck and we're all popping it into our cell phones and watching the game back. And by the time we get off the planes on Tuesday afternoon, here come the texts, here come the phone calls. We're discussing segments. How did we execute? What could we do better? And we take that very seriously. But, but uh, Andrew, I would point to the cohesive conversation in recent weeks as something where I could say you can identify some growth and development. And I would say um, the thing that we can already say we do well is in the moment when the game's on the line, Strategy, action, documenting the game. I think I think we're there, and I think we're going to continue to get better. But uh, we're, we're not close to where we want to be, but we know we're headed in that direction, little by little. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. So Lynn Worthy is next, and then Lindsey Jones with the Athletic. All right, guys. Thanks for uh, making some time. Uh, question I have is for for Booger. Um, Booger, I know uh, back when you guys first had the Chiefs on Monday Night Football in Denver, um, you had uh, some questions and concerns about the Chiefs' defense. I wonder, through these last couple of weeks, have you seen anything different? Has it just been a matter of some of the competition they've faced? What are you seeing on the defensive side for the Chiefs? Well, I think the Chiefs' defense has gotten better. Uh, I think, you know, my thoughts earlier on in the season were very critical. 
And I get all my criticism based on what I see on tape. And you know, that's the great thing about watching football and studying football. That's the fun part is you pop the tape in, and the tape will speak to you and tell you everything you need to know. And early in the season, you saw a defense that, regardless of whether they were a little bit injured, wasn't playing with a lot of energy. Uh, certain players weren't playing up to their ability. And, you know, I named those players out, such as Justin Houston. You know, I, I think any time you're given a contract of that magnitude, there's a lot of ex- uh, expectation. And I didn't see it. Now, uh, throughout the season, especially when you pop the tape on here, um, against Arizona as they're playing, and you see a guy that is a man, and he's coming off the corner, D forward is, is playing uh, at a high level. Uh, the secondary is getting a little bit more confidence, and, and to me, that's the difference. Now, they're still giving up a ton of yards. Uh, however, in the red zone, third down, they're playing a little bit better. So, yeah, I, I have seen some growth, and some would say that's to be expected, However, in football, you take nothing for granted. You just turn the tape on and let the tape speak to you. And, and I think that's going to be the challenge come Monday night, is, is you have two teams that have high-flying offenses. And, and as Witt said earlier, the game is going to come down, in my opinion, to the defense. Which defense can get stops in certain situations? And, and I think uh, if, if your defense can and give your offense some extra possessions, I think that's going to be a critical part of this game. If I could just follow up, I wonder how do you sort of assess the two defenses in this game where obviously the Rams, I think, have more of the um, household names, but statistically they've had some, some shortfalls there as well. I mean, they've given up some um, some big chunks on the ground. They've obviously given up some points. How do you sort of assess the two? Well, first I look at the Rams. The Rams are very similar to a defense that I used to play in in Indy. There are a lot of guys that are fast. They want to run. They want to rush the passer and get to the quarterback. Well, Coach Dungey used to always tell us, in order to get to third down, you better play first and second down very well. And right now the Rams aren't playing well on first and second down, stopping the run. And it's not just one person. It's everybody. Uh, Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, Mark Barron, like everybody's taking turns uh, allowing a run to go through their gaps. And that's why you see the high number of rush yards that they're giving up. And can Andy Reid be patient enough? You know, one of the criticisms of Andy Reid in Philadelphia was that he was a pass-happy coach. He threw the ball too much. And I understand when you have weapons like they have in, in Kansas City, I would want to throw it too. But when you have Kareem Hunt, a guy that led the league in rushing as a rookie, uh, against a defensive front like Sue and Aaron Donald that want to get to the quarterback, the running game might be your best friend, especially with your quarterback. And I think when you look on the other side, Kansas City to me, it's a 3-4 scheme, and anytime you have a scheme like that, you better have two guys on the outside that can get to the quarterback. D. Ford is now healthy. Justin Houston looks healthy. You have linebackers that can run. The corners, uh, Fuller, Skandrick, Nelson, uh, they're going to have to hold up because one thing about Sean McVay, he's going to go play action, and he's going to test your secondary down the field. So I think both defenses have problems. I think both defenses have playmakers. Uh, the Rams playmakers are on the inside and Sue and, and, and Donald. The Chiefs playmakers rushing the quarterback on the outside in D. Ford and Houston. And, and so I think both teams have to play first down, though. You know, we all want to get to the sexy down, which is third down, where we can throw the ball. But I think the key down, the critical down, is going to be on first down and just how committed uh, can Kansas City be to run the football. We know the Rams are committed. They're the number one rushing team in the National Football League. Okay, a lot of people don't realize that. The Rams are number one at running the football. 
I want CP Kansas City to be patient enough because I think that's going to be a critical part of this game as we try to accentuate our young stars with the quarterbacks with Mahomes and Jared Goff. Thank you. We'll go to Lindsay, Lindsay Jones and then Neil Beck with Newsday. Hi, guys. Thanks for doing this. Um, this is a question for, I guess, for Booger and Jason. Um, this game is going to include several MVP candidates on both sides of the field. Um, so how would you handicap the MVP race at this point of the season? Um, and a second part of that is what sort of challenges do you think Todd Gurley faces to actually winning an MVP award given the kind of gratitude, uh, levity that's given to quarterbacks? Go ahead, Book. Hey, John, would you check Booger's line for me? John? His line is connected. Yep. Can you hear me? Booger, can, can you hear, hear me, us? I can. I can take it. Yeah, well, first off, there's a number of MVP candidates uh, in this game. I mean, certainly it starts with uh, the young sensation in Patrick Mahomes, uh, how he's performed, and not just the statistics that I look at. I mean, it's just the way in which he's doing it. I mean, a lot of off-script plays, extending plays, when the play breaks down, or you're seeing a young quarterback, uh, you know, look like he's moving at a different speed than than his opponents are. And so a strong arm, um, how quickly he gets the ball out, he manages this offense really well. So statistically, he's up there. I mean, Drew Brees is going to be a name that, you know, at his age, probably playing some of his best football, probably the only other guy that I think that's not in this game. Um, you know, before I get to Ty Gurley, another name is just Jared Goff. I mean, statistically, when you look at him, what he's been able to do, I think a lot of times people look at this offense and they think, well, wow, you know, Sean McVay and his system and, of course, Ty Gurley. But, I mean, I'm watching Jared on tape, I mean, the throws that he's making, I mean, he looks like an elite quarterback, 22 touchdowns, only six interceptions. So certainly his name will be in there. But I think it's a challenge because it's a quarterback-driven league, so it's going to be a challenge for Todd. Um but he is – there's a lot of good running backs in our league right now. But Todd Gurley, how he's running the football, the touchdowns, so he's scoring points at critical times for his team uh, to have almost 1,000 yards this early in the season. Um, and just the consistent play. I mean, he's an every-down player. And when you look at most valuable player, I think oftentimes that's where he separates himself and where he will be in the mix with these quarterbacks. It's going to be hard as I said, because there is so much attention on the quarterback position, and we love that, and, and it is. It's the hardest position on the field to play, the quarterback position is. But um, Todd is the glue to this offense, in a lot of ways the glue to the team. When they go in cold environments, when they go in uh, on the road and when they have to play these type of teams, you see him put the team on his back. And he's just as good as a receiver and as a pass protector. He's a three-down player, and so – uh, I, I think he is definitely in the hunt, and if he can finish strong, uh, I think he'll get a strong consideration for the MVP. We'll go to Neil Best, followed by Mike McCarthy with Sporting News. 
Uh, this is for Jay, just to go back to what Joe was talking about earlier about the importance and challenges of conversation with a three-man booth. Or, or, uh, halfway into this season, how do you feel about the, how the dynamic is working of having Booger on the field? And is it something you might consider in the future to bring him upstairs, or do you like the way this, this is playing out? We like we like where it's playing out. I think, um, you know, Booger, as a defensive player, gives us a unique perspective, 10 foot high at the line of scrimmage. And I think sometimes it's weaved into his commentary from his point of view, but sometimes it's just his commentary alone gives him a vantage point that's different than what Jason has. Um, I think the flow, if you listen to the games, I'm really proud. You know, you, 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 you worry about guys stepping on each other given the dynamic we have, but it's very rare in a game. It's You can count it on one hand or less that these guys have really interrupted each other. Um, you know, we have cameras set up that they actually see each other in the heat of the battle. Um, we spend a lot of time in conversation and preparation leading into the game, understanding each other's sweet spots. And um, to some extent, you know, defining roles and things of that nature. I think these guys have um, have a tremendous amount of respect for each other, enjoy being around each other, um, a relationship that's grown together. And, um, and it's, and it's, good you know sometimes they agree sometimes they disagree that's okay you have an offensive point of view you have a defensive point of view um i think it's been really really seamless and getting better and better and uh really proud of where these guys are 10 games in yeah i want to this is joe Tessator. i just want to pick up on that because i agree with what jay said but i was just actually commenting on this last night and watching back a few more segments what i have noticed is with book's position hovering above the line of scrimmage, we are often getting different analysis and opinions from what Boog will say, um, and obviously you want you want that, but really a different perspective compared to the way we're seeing things in the booth, and that makes for a very healthy broadcast. Um, and personally, I'm glad. I know before we started doing this and everybody was speculating what it would sound like, we were getting a lot of these Tony Saragusa, you know, comparisons, and I think that's gone away very quickly because you realize you know, it's a, it's a three-man crew, and it, it's not somebody standing on the field. It's somebody that has a perspective unlike anything we've heard before. What what I find often is that Boog, and I'll let you chime in here, but that we're often getting Boog speaking a lot of times in two different levels, to the emotion of the game, the feel of the game, the momentum of the game, the breaking of a team's will, a player matchup, and how that's going, and, and the emotion relating to that, and what he's breathing in and sensing right there hovering above it. And also, Boog will often... Uh, I will find where we are giving what is what you're expecting the typical broadcast in the path that the typical broadcast would go down. Boog is often sensing things in the line play on the offense and defensive line that we aren't, and then he's he's uh, speaking to that. So I think I think we're getting different opinions and different perspective that's benefiting the broadcast because of uh, not just Booger's ability but Booger's physical position. Yeah, Joe and I. Yeah, Joe. I, I, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm still here. I just add to that. You know, there were obviously uh, some questions going into this, especially on my part, because this is something new, something I never done. But I couldn't be happier with how things are going as far as working with this team and working with Jason. Uh, I knew of Jason. Uh, Joe and I had a previous relationship, but I, I couldn't have more respect for Jason, not only as a man but as a teammate. As a former captain of the Cowboys, you understand and you see why he's revered 
and respected the way he is, and, and he's been nothing uh, but the best because it, it takes teamwork to do what we're doing because there's a little bit of give and take from everyone. And, and I think that the more we get used to that on the air, because we have it off the air, the more that continues to, to grow on the air, I, I think the dynamic of, of he and I is going to get better and better because I think it's something unique, you know. And, and to your point, Joe, everyone threw out what they thought it was going to be early on, and I think now people see uh, kind of what it can be. And, and I think when it's at its best, which it's going to be, I think it's going to be something unique and different that no other no other broadcast can offer, which is offense, defense, uh, young, old, I consider myself old, uh, guys talking about football and having a conversation that pulls the viewer in off the couch or out of their bed and says, you know what, I want to be a part of this conversation. And I think that's something that can't be offered anywhere else, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. And more importantly, happy to be working with a guy like Witt and a guy like Tess, and Lisa has been phenomenal because, believe it or not, she kind of had to make the, the biggest sacrifice dealing with us three newbies on, on the staff. So everyone has been phenomenal, and I, and I think we all enjoy working with each other. Yeah, especially Lisa the other night with what we were dealing with, with the nearby fires and the air quality. I thought Lisa was um, was just a star the other night with what she was able to accomplish pregame before kickoff and such a sensitive thing, but and also then such an important thing when it came to player and fan safety and what we were dealing with and the updates she was able to get throughout the game because of that. Uh, it was excellent the other night. Thank you, everyone. And we have just a couple minutes left, so I'm going to finish up with Mike McCarthy. Hey, everybody. Uh, this question is for Jason. Jason, you've been self-deprecating about some of the mistakes and flubs you've made as a rookie broadcaster. What do you say to the critics who've said you struggled on the air this season, and, and what do you think you need to do to get better? Yeah, there's been some flubs. I mean, uh, you know, I made mistakes. You know, you try to own it. You embrace it. I mean, hell, I'm not perfect. I've, I've certainly had my fair share of mistakes on live television. And, um, you know, more than anything else, you try to embrace it. You laugh at it. You smile at it. Uh, you know, I had the remark on, on Twitter that, you know, you, you don't try to deny it. Yeah, that's right. You know, my I, I got a few texts from my wife and, you know, that's good to see her laughing at it when I get home the next day and, and talking about it. So, um, you know, it's a transition. Uh, I try not to take it too serious. I, I really try to embrace it um, and, and focus on improving. So it, I, I understood when I took this job that, um, you know, it was going to be hard. It was going to be a transition, certainly with Tony and the success that he had. Uh, I really try not to live in that world and, and, uh, and fully embrace it and continue to get better. Um, and evaluate it, but I, I think with the flubs, I certainly do not deny it. I, I don't try to hide it, and, and you know, as you said, I mean, that's that's really all you can do in those moments is self-deprecate and move forward. So um, over time, I, I hope to improve and get better at it, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of my approach with it. Media members, thanks so much for your time. Um, if you have any follow-up questions or any kind of questions about our coverage, feel free to send me a note offline. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks again, and have a great rest of your day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.